Good afternoon. Thank you so much for being with us on this Friday afternoon. We're going to be talking a little bit more about the numbers that were released today, the job numbers right across the country and taking a look at the B.C. numbers as well. Also coming up on the program, as you heard in the news, TransLink rescinding the layoff notices that had been given to more than 1,000 employees after the 1230 news. Ben Murphy with TransLink is going to join us to talk about what led to that decision and what that means that moving forward with the transit system in Metro Vancouver. Also coming up on the show, we're going to check in once again with Shane Woodford. He's a former reporter here at CKNW. He's now based in Denmark, and we're going to take a look at what that country looks like as it is about to enter phase two of its reopening plan. That and a whole lot more coming up on the program. Let's start with the business numbers, though, and Robert Levy, CKNW's business analyst, who was just on the news talking about this, is sticking with us for a few minutes to get more into those numbers. Rob, thanks so much for doing this. Oh, no problem. Nice to be with you, Joe. Uh, so walk us through, and you were just talking about the disconnect between the CERB applications and the drop in payroll. Uh, before we get to that, though, so walk us through the numbers. Were you surprised at all that given, given the pandemic and what we know is going on all, at all by the numbers of almost 2 million jobs gone in Canada? It was a surprise, but especially with the Canadian job numbers, and I think it's the important thing here, you got to look at trends uh, month to month and how they play out over maybe a three-month period. And and that is certainly one of the weaknesses in Canada is the availability of our data and and also sort of the flexibility of the data because we see revisions uh, the next month to the previous month that was reported. So every time we get job numbers, it's almost you have to take them with a bit of a, a grain of salt. Uh, given especially with these ones, like we're rounding to a million at the nearest million, which just seems absolutely crazy when they're usually in the tens of thousands on a monthly basis. You know, in the previous month, we had two million jobs lost in April, but expectations were somewhere between three and four. So they were a little bit better than expected. But given the fluidity of these environment win right now, I wouldn't be surprised to say see another big swing and maybe May is worse than expectations. And how do you factor in then, because we've been hearing all along this morning as well, that if you, when you take out the people who stopped looking for work, the numbers could have been a lot worse if we left that, that number in. But also the fact that, that many of these job losses are temporary. They are because of the virus. And we hope, we assume that a lot of these jobs will be coming back in the next few months. You're exactly right, and it depends which way you want to look at that story. So as you said, almost a million Canadians taken out of the labor force. So that's a million people who aren't accounted for in this unemployment rate, and they're not a part of the participation rate. So the number of Canadians that are, say, active in the in the Canadian labor market, and that level now is at record lows because you have people that are sitting on the sidelines. So that could potentially be a positive, assuming that they're quickly rehired when we go back to work. Uh, but even, you know, CIBC was out with their forecast this morning, estimating that it's going to be about 80% of these jobs that are lost are back within the next year. So uh, settling a year from now, an employment rate around the 8 to 8.5% level, which is kind of a who knows forecast at this point, because it is the challenge of forecasting, but it fits with the themes. We know that it's the service and hospitality sector that's hit particularly hard. But even in Vancouver, when they're talking about those restaurants returning to work, it's at reduced capacity. So do you need to hire back the same amount of staff? It's a lot of the questions that are being asked. And May's numbers will give us a little bit of a better picture. But the other thing about these surveys, too, is they occur mid-month. So 
within next week, we'll have the estimates for the survey taking place for where May numbers are going to be. And it is the question, are people going to be hired back? And, and, you know, do we see that return to work like some are expecting? And you touched on this as well, the types of jobs. And this isn't just in Canada. We're seeing graphs and and, and models coming out of the United States and other places as well, that it is the the service jobs. It is the bulk of the the job losses appear to be uh, jobs that are, you know, the $20 an hour or less. Exactly. And even within the Canadian numbers, a very telling statistic we look at hourly wages every month and, and you know, where they're rising because it gives us a picture of how people's incomes on average are rising across the labor market. And usually in the realm of 3 to 4%, we see wages rising on an annual basis. They spike to almost 11%, 10.9% uh, rise in hourly wages, which basically tells you that the people at the upper end of the income earning spectrum are still employed because of that spike in average earnings. And as you said, it's the lower end of the wage earning spectrum that were put out of work in the past couple months. And can you touch on again that disconnect that you talked about in the business report to when we look at the numbers of applications for the CERB versus the drop in payroll? Yeah, you know, and part of it is the challenge of a good available data in Canada and quick access to data. But that's one of the estimates that we've seen is that 7 million Canadians are collecting that economic relief benefit, a population of 33 million, you've got a working population of about 17 million or 16 million here in Canada. So the fact that 7 million Canadians are collecting on that benefit, uh, but we've only seen in the last couple months about 3 million Canadians go on uh, and lose their jobs or go out of work at the result of this crisis. So it, it doesn't mean that 7 million Canadians have to lose their jobs, but Perhaps I think we should we should caution or ready ourselves for some adjustments in this data when we get next month's report. Uh, it, it, you know, it just stands out. It shows the severity and the impact of, of this economic crisis over two months. It's almost according to StatsCan data, not the CRB data, but StatsCan data. Sixteen percent of the Canadian workforce is out of work, and twenty eight percent drop in total hours work. So those two numbers that, you know, people who are even still employed are working less hours to, to show, you know, what is a pretty devastating short-term impact. We have been talking about the job numbers. Canada shedding almost 2 million jobs in April, uh, much because of the COVID-19 pandemic. Granted, a lot of those job losses will be temporary, but it's still unknown how quickly they will come back and what the numbers for next month are going to look like as well. That's what we were touching on with Rob Levy just before the break. Let's bring in Bridget Anderson, the CEO of the Greater Vancouver Board of Trade, to talk a bit more about this. Good afternoon to you. Hi, Jill. Hi. What is your take on the number of jobs that we've seen lost? And maybe we'll talk a little bit more of exactly where those jobs are. Sure. Well, this uh, we're hoping that this is the worst that we're going to see. But there's no question that a lot of uncertainty remains as we head into this reopening uh, of the economy phase and, and this pivot to recovery. There's so many unknowns about how quickly businesses will be able to come back online. So it remains unclear whether we're going to see worse numbers for May and even June. And when we're talking about the jobs themselves, uh, we've been talking about how a lot of them are in the food and service industry. Uh, There is uh, a bulk of the jobs that are kind of lower paying jobs on that end of the spectrum. What are you seeing as far as the sectors that have been the hardest hit? 
Well, nearly half of the jobs that we saw lost in British Columbia are in the accommodation and food and retail sector, which is what we were seeing before, but also seeing pretty hard hit with the information, culture and recreation centre. So, as you mentioned, a lot of these are temporary layoffs, and we're hoping that after the long weekend we'll see some of these jobs come back. Um, Certainly, you know, there are still lots of, uh, I think, rocks ahead in the path, if you will, because for many restaurants, they're not going to be able to come back to 100% level. It is going to be this staged approach. And, and of course, when it comes to accommodation, those uh, hotels and resorts aren't going to come back online until June. And then there's the big question about tourism. Um, You know, we'll be able to travel within our own province and and within our own country, but international tourism is going to suffer for a long, long time. So some of these sectors uh, will be more quick to come back than others, and others it's going to be a much more prolonged recovery. And are you hearing from places like that? It's, It's like you said, we know when as far as the phasing of the of the reopening in BC and, and if you use hotels as, as an example uh, it's only really part of the story to say the yes hotels can open up again but if nobody's coming or if there's say 20 percent capacity can they open up and actually continue on like that? Well, that's a question that we actually have asked twice now. We've done a survey uh, in collaboration with the BC Business Council and the BC Chamber of Commerce, and this is one of the things that we have asked uh, right across Canada, uh, right across British Columbia, rather, to businesses: is that uh, what is it going to look like when the re- when the economy reopens and you can come back to operations? And so, many of those businesses, about forty percent, were saying that uh, you know they weren't confident that they could reopen, and that is in part because they weren't sure about what it would look like. Could they come back at 25% or at 75%? And so just understanding what that level of profitability is for many for many companies is that for some, and especially in the, re, the restaurant sector where those the razor-thin margins, does it make sense for them to come back if they can only operate, say, at, uh, you know, half staff and, and half uh, customers? So I think a lot of unknowns, and we'll really see what it's like, uh, how this transition is going through the last half of May and into June. Uh, we heard from the Prime Minister this morning uh, saying that the Canada Emergency Wage Subsidy was going to be extended beyond June. Do you think that will make a big difference? A huge difference, Jill. I mean, this is much, much needed relief. Um, The survey that we have done twice now, we are clearly hearing that businesses are running out of cash and running out of time. And this wage subsidy has shored up many businesses right across the province. And so it's unclear yet just how long the wage subsidy will be extended to. But the government does have the ability uh, right now under the uh, under the existing um, policy to have it extended until the end of September. And just giving that extra bit of time, if that's what the government is thinking and details are coming next week, would give businesses some certainty over this transition period and would allow them to keep staff on, which I think would cause uh, a lot of businesses to take a deep, deep sigh and just be able to, to think beyond really survival mode of the next couple of weeks. Uh, have you heard from businesses as well that are depending on this or that have really used this as a lifeline? Absolutely. Um, you know, we are hearing that the wage subsidy has been incredibly important to shore up revenues. Um, I think we have heard from some businesses around eligibility requirements and just around applying. And we've given this feedback to the government and they've been open to changing the threshold. It started, don't forget, it started at 10% and went to 75 A lot of uh, uh, tinkering has been done with uh, with the wage subsidy over the last several weeks because uh, that's exactly it. We've been talking to our members and understanding 
where some of those gaps are. And so uh, it has been incredibly important and has allowed many businesses to keep staff online. How big of a hit do you think it's going to be? You touched on international tourism. We're not going to see that for a while. With Vancouver being a port city and having, under normal circumstances, a very vibrant cruise industry, how big of a hit is it, do you think, that we likely won't have a very big cruise, if any, cruise industry this season? Well, I wish I had a crystal ball, Jill. Uh, I, I mean, when I what I'm reading and what I'm hearing from our members and what I'm seeing is that it's going to be prolonged recovery, and especially in the tourism sector, and it could take years to come back. One of the pieces that's really important in the coming weeks will be confidence. You know, do workers feel confident that they can go back to work safely? And do consumers feel like they can go back out and shop and go to restaurants and do some of the things they did before? safely. So that confidence piece is really going to be key in ensuring that uh, the health and safety of both workers and the public has been taken care of. And then it's confidence for people to travel and to, to leave their homes and to leave their home cities and their provinces as the borders open. But, you know, this is uh, all very long term because uh, the science is telling us, and, and that's what's guiding all of us, is that the, the, the full restrictions won't be lifted until there's what they're calling herd immunity or a vaccine, and that could take 12 to 18 months. Yeah, it's uh, it's uh, bizarre to even think of it on that uh, that long term. And, and you, you make an interesting point when we talk about confidence, because I feel like there are people now in, in two different camps. There's there's people who are petrified of getting this virus and are continuing to, to isolate and are afraid of going back into any form of normalcy and others that are really wanting to go back and wanting to reopen and wanting to get some kind of, of socialing, whether it's going to a pub or a restaurant. It, it really does seem like there's a divide. Absolutely. Even anecdotally among my my friends and my family, I I see both ends of the spectrum. And what will be really key is for employers to very clearly communicate what they have done to make sure that it is a safe workplace and a a healthy workplace. And so part of it is actually going through the motions and and doing that checklist, which the, the Premier has outlined, what will be really important to do, social distancing, cleaning, et cetera. But then it's also about communicating that. And so to be really clear with uh, customers about about what's been done and whether that's done through, you know, posted signs or uh, some sort of uh, public service announcement, it will be really clear. Uh, so it's really important for, for businesses to be clear about what they've done so people feel comfortable to come back into that space. All right. Uh, we'll leave it there. I'm sure we'll talk to you uh, again about this in the coming days and weeks. Bridget, thank you so much. Thanks very much, Jill. Well, earlier on in the program, we were talking about how plans for service reductions at TransLink have now been suspended. The reductions are not going ahead. They were to come into place on May 18th. TransLink has also announced it is rescinding the layoff notices that were issued to about 1,500 employees at TransLink. Those were also going to be coming into place on May 18th. But what does that mean for the future of the transit system as we continue dealing with COVID? 19. Well, joining me on the line now is Marco D'Angelo, the president and CEO of the Canadian Urban Transportation Association. Thank you so much for being with us. Well, thank you very much for having me, Jill. Good afternoon. Good afternoon to you. Uh, first, your response to hearing that news that the layoffs and the service reductions in Vancouver, at least in Metro Vancouver, are not going to happen. Yeah, I think it's uh, it's uh, really great news uh, for uh, British Columbia, for Metro Vancouver's economy. Um, you know, 
British Columbia is looking to restart. And uh, if people are going to be going back to work and businesses are going to be opening, it makes perfect sense that we have to have adequate levels of uh, transit there to get people where they need to go. And it's uh, hopefully uh, a great example of where uh, partnerships between the federal and the, and the provincial governments can continue in other areas of the country later. Uh, Do you think enough has been done as far as recognizing that transit companies are losing millions of dollars, that ridership is down as people are out of work in many sectors? Is enough being done to treat it as an essential service? Well, it's it's a great point because we're in transit. We're still uh, transporting about one million people per day. And a lot of these people are working on the front lines of uh, fighting the pandemic, as well as getting seniors to to get to grocery stores and these sorts of things. So it's really been an essential service. And and our systems across Canada have been very good at uh, finding ways to to keep the lights on while we're waiting for the federal government to come and uh, and aid with uh, emergency relief like they've done in uh, other transportation sectors like the airlines, for example. And are you hearing then, as far as I know that you've been calling for more federal money and would like to see more money put into transportation systems, uh, the Prime Minister has said it's not a federal responsibility. What, how, what would you like to see or, or how do you respond first to him saying that? Well, I mean, a, a lot of things have changed. I mean, uh, uh, paying uh, a lot of uh, different uh, things like the wage subsidy and things like some bailing out parts of the economy, those weren't part of Ottawa's mandate in February pre-COVID. Now we're in a different uh, era, and certainly there's a role uh, for the national government to play in getting the Canadian economy uh, back on its feet. And I think what everyone agrees is that the worst time to reduce transit service is when we're asking people to come back to work. So without the federal government engaging with provinces about transit, we don't want to see service cuts across Canada as reopening begins. Unfortunately, that doesn't seem like it'll be the case in Vancouver, but Canada is a big country and there's a lot of other systems that are, are still hurting today. Uh, with systems looking at that, though, with the 80% in some cases, ridership levels down by 80% or even more, uh, they are losing millions. So, I, I mean, are you, have you seen them making cuts or making service reductions that reflect the, the, the lower ridership? Yeah, there has been optimization, uh, you know, where, where it's made sense. So there have been some reductions, but you got to remember with the current um, physical distancing and separating the operator from the rest of the passengers, capacity on a standard bus right now is about 10 to 12 people. So we need to keep that level of service up. So that way, if a nurse is going to her or his shift, you know, he's got a a reliable ride to get there. So it's not a two hour wait if they miss a bus and you don't have the added stress of wondering, is that bus going to be full? So that's why we've had to keep service levels, you know, pretty well uh, intact. Although where it's been possible, cities have already made a few layoffs and have reduced service a bit to recognize that there, there are fewer people, you know, traveling. And what about looking at the the other side of it as far as infrastructure projects, many that were already uh, in the planning stages before the coronavirus hit, as far as the, the federal government has been a partner in many of those projects, do you see that those will be a lot of the shovel-ready projects perhaps that do start up again once we get to the other side of this? Well, it's, it's a challenge because if municipalities have to spend uh, on these operations during the pandemic, it's going to be hard for them to also 
be participants at the share that they're supposed to be uh, on these big projects. We have, we're about to embark on a decade of really big rebuilds and expansions of transit networks across the country to enhance people's mobility. And we really don't want to put that in jeopardy because of a few months of operational uh, needs that we have in front of us. And that's why we're calling on Ottawa to help us to find a way uh, to make sure that we don't lose the momentum on building that infrastructure and building out the kind of transit that Canada's commuters deserve. And why is it uh, the federal government? I know, uh, I, I think that was the figure $400 million a month from the federal mm. government to, to, to recoup the revenues. Um, and again, the federal government saying it's not federal jurisdiction that, it, that I suppose what they're, they're saying there is it should be the provinces uh, doing that. I mean, it's all one taxpayer. Uh, but why go after or ask for it from the federal government rather than each uh, transit authority in the provinces going out to a provincial to the provincial government? Well, we're seeing today, you know, that, that a province can play a role. So the province of BC, you know, met that a bit of the federal challenge where the where the federal government has said, uh, you know, that the provinces uh, need to participate in that dialogue. So British Columbia has gone out first, and uh, certainly that's commendable. And, uh, you know, we'll continue trying to coordinate each province and the federal government to come up with the, the right solution for their province. Uh, but, you know... To, the pandemics aren't easy, and uh, you know I, we know the federal government's been making uh, you know a number of decisions that are, affect everyone's lives every day, and uh, so tra- we know we'll get to the right spot on transit. Um, they understand the issues. We're working cooperatively uh, with our federal partners, and uh, we're going to keep on uh, working so that more systems can tell the story like TransLink's telling today, which is that there won't need to be layoffs, that service won't be cut. And that as the economy reopens, transit's going to be ready uh, to get the post-pandemic recovery uh, underway. All right, Uh, Marco, we will leave it there. Thanks so much for your time today. Okay, thank you so much. Have a great afternoon.